0: Well, good evening, and uh, on to more important things. <laughs> I hope you guys are all making it uh, through exams, and if any of you are already finished with your exams, uh, in the spirit of last week, just please keep your mouth shut and um, keep in prayer for your your brothers and sisters as this exam period continues. Uh, we are spending these three weeks of reading period and exams, asking Jesus to teach us how to pray, the disciples came to him and asked him to teach them to pray, and we're doing that by looking at the prayer that he gave to his disciples, gave to his followers, saying, pray then in this way, and this is the prayer that we all know is the Lord's Prayer. One of the things that we said last week is that uh, while historically um, this prayer uh, throughout the centuries is one of the things that has united the people of God in in corporate worship is uh, uh, corporately praying this prayer together, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, I I also think that Jesus didn't give the prayer as sort of to limit us in prayer, but to give us a pattern uh, for prayer, and uh, it's in that vein that we're... Working our way through this, and some of the things that we're learning from this prayer is is that prayer is in the first place coming to God as our loving Father in heaven, uh, and coming to Him in a spirit of surrender and of submission, of surrendering our lives to Him and to His will. Um, and and then moving from that, prayer is a way that God wants us to uh, come to Him and to express and acknowledge to Him our needs. And it's interesting; uh, some have pointed out that it begins with our physical needs, and that's where we're going to be focusing tonight in verse eleven, and then moves into uh, our spiritual need before God. And so, just as as we begin tonight, um, actually, Rob, go back to the previous. I just want to pray through this uh, with you all, and uh, if if you you want to pray with me, uh, please do. Um, This is the the prayer that uh, Jesus gave us, telling us, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your Your kingdom kingdom come, your Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have given our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So tonight, give us this day our daily bread. And I want to, thinking about this petition, this request, uh, think about three things uh, coming out of this this petition first uh, that, that here what what Jesus is calling us to and what this prayer is calling us to is daily dependence daily dependence upon God and then second this is calling us uh, to continually care for others and third, that this request can be a a, a prompt for us to regularly reset and renew our focus upon God. And I, I tried to come up with something that you might remember. So daily dependence. Daily dependence. Continual care. And regular reset. Daily dependence. Depend daily. That... That one of the most fundamental things that we do when we come to God in prayer is that we acknowledge uh, our need and we acknowledge our, our helplessness and um, this I think I think this is difficult for everyone and perhaps we could point to ways it's, it's especially difficult for a room like people like us but this is difficult uh, for for everyone I think and I thought it might be helpful to think about some of the reasons why is it so hard for me to acknowledge my need to God. Um, First, because all too often we do not sense our need. I mean, think about it. Give us this day our daily bread. For everyone in this room, I mean, even if you are independent, (laughs) you know, today's bread is already here. There's no shortage of food on the university campus. And none of you here is really worried about having enough bread for today. And, uh, and so we don't have that sense of need. I, I was thinking about the, the proverb, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, where the, the prayer that's expressed there is, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest lest I be full and deny you, and say, "Who is the Lord?" Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And because of the abundance that we all enjoy, all the time, uh, we are in, at risk of being full. Uh, we, we're at risk of having these riches that lead us to be full and to say, who needs God? We don't have this deep sense of need. Um, And and then secondly, I think we we aren't articulating this because not only do we not have a sense of need, but we don't live in a spirit of gratitude. Um, We we live in an age of uh, a a profound entitlement, a culture of entitlement. And um, that's why we're always unhappy. Because uh, we think we deserve everything, you deserve a break today. No, you don't. <laughs> but we think we, we think we deserve. <laughs> we think we deserve everything, and because we think we deserve everything, we don't receive anything as a gift. We don't receive it with gratitude. We're always unhappy. One of the things I love about Debbie's mother, who's, who's uh, gone to be with the Lord now, is. It's partly because of her background. She didn't grow up with uh, uh, plenty, with abundance, always with everything you might uh, want or imagine. And uh, all the years I knew her, she just never ceased to amaze me with the delight she would express of just the most ordinary and simple things. Every, every, every new thing was just a wonder to her. Because she had that, that, not that spirit of entitlement, but the spirit of gratitude. Of giving thanks in all things. And I think that's a problem for us. Uh, but another reason it's hard for us to a- acknowledge our, our dependence is, well, because we don't think prayer really matters. We don't, we don't uh, always think it really does anything. We, we kind of have the spirit that's, well, it happened anyway. You know, why why do I need to Thank God for my, my food when I sit down in the dining hall or on the street. Who would have been there anyway? Uh, we, we live in a, in a, in a cynical age. And, and this is why I think prayer is one of the most extraordinary things, we were saying this last week, that you can possibly do as a human being. Because when you pray, you, you are challenging yourself to push back against the cynicism to push back against the skepticism, the secularism uh, of, of your age, and to acknowledge, okay, maybe I'm the only one at this table right now who is bowing my head and thanking God for my food. But you know what? Everything, everything all of us are enjoying right now comes from God, from the living God. And so it's a profound thing for you to acknowledge that. But we also, and this gets in some ways to the heart of prayer, we don't live in a sense of helplessness. A lot of us have quite a bit of confidence, particularly in our intelligence, in our ability to understand and explain things, but also in our human nature, there's a lot of independence and there's a lot of pride. I can do it myself. We not only have confidence that we can do it ourselves, but we want to be in control. And um, Paul Miller, if you, if you guys want to read a good book, and if, you, if, if there's any book that you want to read on prayer, it's a good one. <laughs> this has the Ella seal of approval. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was back in this book this week, and uh, boy, what a great book, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Really, really challenged me uh, in a fresh way as I was thinking about sharing with you tonight. But one of the things he, he says in there is, What do I lose? The name of the book is A Praying Life. What do I lose when I have a praying life? I lose control, I lose independence. What do I gain? Friendship with the living God, a quiet heart. The living work of God in the hearts of those I love and I'm praying for. The ability to roll back the tides of evil. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Essentially, Miller writes, I lose my kingdom to get his. I move from being an independent player to a dependent lover. I move from being an orphan to a child of God. So prayer calls upon us to acknowledge our dependence upon the living God. And sometimes that's hard for us, not only because of that spirit of independence and pride, but because, uh, I I don't mean to insult any of you, but the naivete of your relative youthfulness. (laughs) (laughs) Relative, because I'm relatively youthful compared to many of you. (laughs) It's all relative. (laughs) No, but seriously, one of the things that, that... That uh, can change us, change for us, I would say, over time is that we become gradually and progressively uh, more aware of our own brokenness and uh, and our own sinfulness, and more and more aware of God's God's greatness and His majesty and of His amazing grace. And, And I've I've had the privilege of having a couple of conversations with some of you just this week, where where some of you have, in a sense, had a personal, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. And, you know, a a couple of you in this room have have come face to face with that this week and realized you're not as strong as you thought you were. And uh, that's humbling, but wow, that's so important. To come to that place where you recognize your fundamental brokenness before God and, and that you are helpless uh, apart from his grace. We, we need, to, we need to, to transition from our, our sort of uh, big me, small God way of thinking to big God. Small me, both with regard to ourselves and, and, and others and, and then we begin to move into this sense of, of greater and greater dependence upon god and so that 's really what prayer is is it 's is coming to God I mean think about the simplicity of this prayer. give us today, just enough for today, our daily bread, coming to God in our helplessness, and uh, one of the things that, that Miller points out because he's talking about this point, is how in John's Gospel, people are constantly coming to Jesus in, in this spirit of helplessness. If you've read the book, you remember this. Uh, he, he refers to a, a, an older book, um, where the author of that older book points out how at the wedding of Cana, right, Mary comes to Jesus. and What does she say? She says, they have no wine. And this writer says, Mary's request is the perfect description of prayer. And that's, that's really good to, 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 to think about, because what is she doing? She's coming to Jesus and saying, well, we got a problem here. They have no wine. This, we have a need, and, and she's bringing the need to Jesus. Uh, but throughout the gospel, the, the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria, she has no water. And so she comes to Jesus. In a few chapters, the official son has no health. And so uh, they come to Jesus. The lame man at the pool of Bethsaida has no one to help him get into the pool. And so Jesus helps him. The crowd has no bread. And so Jesus provides bread. The blind man has no sight. And Jesus opens his eyes. Lazarus has no life. And Jesus brings him back from the dead. And, and this is such a beautiful picture of coming to, to, to the Father, coming to Jesus in our spirit of helplessness and asking God. And, and I think that it's, uh, we're, we're never really going to begin to pray uh, from the heart and in, 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 from this spirit until we come to recognize <coughs> our profound and our utter helplessness apart from the grace and mercy of God. And when I talk about becoming more and more self-aware, it's you know when 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 I first became a Christian uh, in high school, you know I, I hang out with a bunch of friends and you know we had really foul language, all kinds of you know. I remember the first time I said the F word in front of my mom, and she was like, "Where did that come from?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, mom, let me tell you." <laughs> uh, but. Um, You know, changing that kind of speech, that was pretty easy, to be honest. I became a Christian, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't talk that way, and I quit talking that way. And pretty much, you know, that that was pretty straightforward. But, wow. The thoughts and intentions of my heart, the anger that might be in my heart, the envy, the jealousy that I might feel towards someone else. And I think that that as, as we go, we become more and more aware of our sinfulness and uh, the, the wickedness in us. And, and we become more and more aware of, for example, the relationships around us and in the world that, that are broken. And sometimes they seem broken in a way that is beyond repair. And, and we become more and more aware of the, the way circumstances in our lives develop. And we, we don't have control over them and all of these things God uses to bring us to a place of saying, God, I don't have control. I am helpless. I am broken. And God wants us uh, to come to that point in prayer. And the, the final thing I, I'll say about why, why this is hard for us. It's hard for us to admit these things to God. But I think also, as part of us, that thinks God doesn't care about little things like what we have to eat for lunch But you know, that's that's what he tells us to pray for. Give us this day our daily bread. And I was thinking about, who does Jesus get most excited about? He gets excited about little kids. And and whose faith does he say, that's that's where you guys want to be, is the faith of a child. Because Jesus... God loves it when we come to him with that kind of childlike faith and ask him for for what we need. He wants us to be in that place of dependence and in that place of, of helplessness. And so depend daily. Depend daily. Acknowledge your need to the living God. That glorifies him. That honors him. Secondly, care continually. And and here I just want us to see that this prayer, and we saw this last week, it's not just give me my daily bread, it is give us our daily bread. And, and I think that helps us to see that let this prayer be, be uh, an impetus for all of us, not only to pray for my own needs, but to pray earnestly for the needs of others. Because, You may know where your next meal is coming from, but all over the world there are people who do not. You may have access to to clean water and hot showers and excellent health care, but all over the world there are people who do not. You may enjoy security and freedom to practice your Christian faith without fear, but all over the world are Christians who do not. You may be blessed with a loving family, with supportive relationships and community, but there are others who come out of families of brokenness and trauma and and abuse and who are isolated and alone. And so Jesus is teaching us here not only to pray for ourselves, but to to pray for others, to pray for the suffering of others, In a sense, to lift up our eyes to look away from ourselves, to see the needs around us, and and like Jesus did when he saw the crowds that they were like sheep without a shepherd, he he felt compassion for them. To to have compassion for those who are suffering, to enter into that suffering, and and to recognize that while yes, God wants me to be. Actively, practically engaged in alleviating the suffering of others, he wants me to be praying. That's one of the chief ways that I can do that, because I can I can pray for for uh, uh, a suffering widow on the other side of the world, and God hears that prayer, and God God can minister His grace and His goodness. To, to that person on the other side of the world when we lift up our voices and pray, not only for ourselves, but for others. And as we pray for them, we can think about what are people's most basic needs for daily bread, for existence, and, and then what are their their, their greater needs for the, for the bread of heaven, who is Christ, and to pray for those things. And this just leads me to It has led me to to, to be asking myself, how much am I praying for other people? And it seems that this this is an important indication of whether I am becoming a person who who loves my neighbor. Am I becoming a person who loves other people? Uh, A person who, in in the uh, words of Philippians, is not only looking to my own interests, but Uh, Looking to the interests of others. And this is one reason why why I am so encouraged by people who are coming out to noon prayer. I'm so encouraged by people who are are meeting on uh, Thursday nights uh, with with a global ministry team to pray for Christians who are seeking to meet needs and bring the gospel to people all over the world. Because because this is the prayer not only for ourselves, this is the prayer for others. And and I want to ask all of us, as we think about this, this call to care continually through others, and and to practice that, uh, among other ways, through prayer, is is to ask all of us, what would be a next step for you tonight in, in becoming more intentional in prayer for other people? To make some kind of concrete commitment to do something you're not you're not doing now. And this is very practical, but I would suggest that something very helpful in this regard is actually to make lists. Whether you write them down on a piece of paper or you know somehow on your phone or your your, your computer, uh, lists can be wonderful ways to prompt you to pray for 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 people to pray for needs that you want to be praying for, but sometimes what you need is that that list to sort of help you, orient you, and go to it. So, depend daily, care continually, and thirdly, give us this day our daily bread to reset regularly. And what I want to talk about here for a few minutes is fasting. Uh, The Gospels tell us that uh, after he was uh, baptized, Jesus was uh, led out into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, and that during that time he was fasting. And lo and behold, the text says he became hungry. (laughs) Took that long. Um, He became hungry, and at that point, Satan, the devil, uh, came to him and began to tempt him. You know, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, use your power to provide yourself some food, to provide yourself bread. And you all know Jesus responded with these uh, famous words, man shall not live by bread alone, as it is written, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And part of what he's saying there is just as, as we need food, we need bread to live, we do, We need the Word of God. We need God Himself to live. To live spiritually, to live eternally. And and fasting, I want to talk about that for a few minutes, because I think fasting can be a way, uh, it it can be a a spiritual discipline or a practice that we we engage in intentionally. Uh, Fasting is a way that we can, something that we can do to help us focus ourselves on our greatest need, uh, to to turn away, in a sense, from focusing just upon our temporal needs and to focus upon our our greatest need, to focus ourselves upon what matters most. And uh, fasting is interesting. I've read a lot of articles about it in recent weeks as I was thinking about this. Even though Jesus uh, teaches directly about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talks about giving, he talks about praying, he talks about fasting. And um, when he talks about it, he says when you do this, when you fast, um, even though he seems to take for granted that this would be part of sort of regular Christian practice, um, I think I'm on safe ground when I say that most Christians today don't fast regularly. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, um, if at all. And, and uh, many of us have never been encouraged to even think about this uh, and may not even have given much thought at all. And there are some different reasons. There are some historical reasons for that. I don't want to take time to try to parse all that out tonight. But let's think about, first of all, what is fasting? And the simplest kind of a definition that we could give is that it's abstaining from food uh, and and maybe also from drink. For a limited time... uh, for a spiritual purpose, so this is not medical fasting. I've had to do medical fasting for things like blood work and some of you, or, or procedures or something, and some of you know that. And this is not fasting in order to lose weight. Um, right now, intermittent fasting is kind of a fad, you know, going around. Um, it's not for some health benefit. Uh, it's uh, abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. It's oriented toward uh, toward God. And you might uh, hear people uh, speaking of fasting with regard to things other than food. You may have um, you know, uh, heard someone say something like, well, I'm fasting from Facebook for Lent, or something like that. And uh, Tim Chalice, if you know, he's a, pretty famous uh, blogger, Christian blogger. He comments on this, and, and, and he says, well, food is something that we need for existence. <laughs> you know where he's going. Uh, it's not really something that we, that we want. He says, you may want to use Facebook, but you need food. Uh, thus, in fasting, you're withholding from yourself something you need, food, in order to pursue something you need even more. Uh, which is communion with God. And I'm like, okay, Tim, that's that's, all right. Um, That's a good insight. But I I also think that I agree uh, that there may be benefit from abstaining from other kinds of things intentionally uh, for periods of time. And uh, last week I I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'll mention him again. He writes that fasting if we conceive of it truly, must not be confined only to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is might be legitimate in and of itself, but abstain from that for the sake of a spiritual purpose. So there are many things we might rightly and normally and legitimately engage in, but which for special, peculiar reasons in certain circumstances we would choose to abstain from those. And he says that, that is fasting. So you can think about those two, two perspectives. But why would you do this? Why would you engage in a fast? And I, want to, I want to give some bad reasons first. Uh, number one, we've already said we're not talking about medical fasting. We're not talking about health or, or, or diet. So, uh, but number one, not as an end in itself. In other words, you're not doing this to try to get a blessing from God. Uh, maybe you would find it. Wow, that experience really blessed me wonderfully. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't. But that's not why you—that's not how you choose to do it. And uh, related, number two, you're not doing this to manipulate God. You know the story of the, the uh, prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, who you know were trying to get their, their their God to send down fire, and it just wasn't happening. And so then they they go more and more elaborate. Shenanigans to try to, to get the God to respond until finally they're like slashing themselves and, and, and all this stuff. Um, we're, we're not trying to manipulate God to do our will um, by fasting. Put it a different way, fasting does not change God. It changes me. It changes us. Uh, third, we're not doing it to commend ourselves to God to impress God, sort of like, hey God, look at me, I am, I am, Joe, spiritual down here, look <laughs> at me. Um, if you know, Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus, uh, with the, the, the Pharisee and the sinner, and, and the Pharisee is saying, God, I'm so grateful, so thank you Lord, that I'm not like other people. I mean, look at me, I fast twice a week. I give tithes. Look at what a righteous, godly person I am. And, uh, you know, Jesus was not impressed. We don't don't do this to uh, impress God with our piety. And, finally, we don't do this to impress one another with our piety. And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. You know, those those who would fast and they make a big show of it, they put on a gloomy face and drag around and, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh. And, uh, in, in order to be seen seen by their, their peer group and, and by others. And, you know, it, it might be legitimate. I, I don't, you know, you can think of it, if your mind starts going. I, I think it might be legitimate to make some intentional choices that you're going to wear uh, 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 clothes that identify yourself as a follower of Christ. You might wear a Christian T-shirt or you might wear a cross around uh, your neck, or you might wear a PCF socks. Um, <laughs> and those can, those, can be, those can be good things, but don't please, don't do that in order to call attention to your piety and to try to oppress others. Those, those are not reasons to fast. Why, why should we fast when well, Jesus encourages it? But we fast in order to reset our focus and to draw near to God. And, and so I think we can think of fasting as an aid to and to help, to help me focus in prayer in, uh, and in seeking after God. And so when we turn to Scripture, you know, this is what, when we see God's people fasting. They're fasting for things like when they're seeking God's help and guidance. You can read in in Acts chapter 13 about how some of the believers, the apostles, were fasting and praying, and as they were doing that, the Spirit uh, guided them to send uh, send a posse out to do missions, and uh, they had tremendous fruit from that. Or, Or we might fast to remind ourselves of our deep spiritual need um, perhaps to, to seek deliverance from either some sort of external or, or internal calamity. Uh, we might fast, we're so moved to pray for the needs of others, things like that. Or we might fast to, to aid us in, in confession of our sin, uh, in a spirit of, of repentance and sorrow, that you see this frequently in scripture. Grief over our sin, grief over the sins of others, I love the passage in Nehemiah 1 where uh, Nehemiah is in Susa and he hears the report from Jerusalem about how it's, it's devastated and the gates are broken down um, and he is so grieved by what's happened to his hometown and the center of the temple and, and, and of the worship that it says, I, I was fasting and praying for days in grief uh, and uh, seeking God for mercy. Or we might fast to, to help us, again, sort of shut out distraction and to find our delight in a fresh way in God. The, the account in Luke's Gospel of Anna, the prophetess, who was married, it says, for seven years, and then her husband died, and now she's 84 years old. So for for decades, this woman has been a widow, and it says that that she was always in the temple, and she worshipped uh, night and day with prayer and with fasting. And you, and you, just, you, you think, here's a woman who is, in her, in her loss, in, in her, uh, we might say, in her singleness, is, is finding her delight day by day, worshipping, fasting before God. Finding our delight in God. Um, David Brainerd, an early Christian missionary in the North American continent, uh, who has a famous uh, journals, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd, I think it's called. Um, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, here's his journal entry from April 19, 1742. I think that's before the University was founded, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He'd been fasting and praying and seeking the Lord, and he writes, My soul was drawn out very much for the world, for multitudes of souls. I enjoyed great sweetness of communion with my dear Savior. I think never in my life did I feel such an entire weanedness, that's a hard word, lack of dependency upon this world, and so much resigned to God in everything. And so his experience in fasting was to to just enter into a a new delight in Christ. Finally, it can be a way for us to fix our hope upon Christ as as our bridegroom. And uh, in in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is responding to a question about fasting. And he says, as long as the bridegroom is there, the guests are not going to mourn. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Referring to himself, and then, then they will fast. And uh, John Piper says this about that statement He says, In this age, there is an ache and a longing, a homesickness inside of every Christian that Jesus is not here now as fully and as intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. And so we fast, uh, you know, think about it earthly. Bridegroom or bride. Got that switch. Think about an earthly bride who has maybe has just gotten married. So she's she's had that sweetness of union of, of marriage and, and now the bridegroom has gone away. And uh, she's she's just longing and aching for the day that the bridegroom will return. And that's why we fast. Guys, I'll be the first to confess. Fasting has not been part of my regular practice. I've done some fasting, but I am not up here to say, oh, look at me, (laughs) Uh, by no means. Um, And so this study has been really helpful for me, and it's been really challenging me. Um, And to be honest, I'll also tell you, I'm not eager to be more involved in fasting than I have been. I don't like to be hungry. Um, but i want to be honest, by God's grace and with his help, I want to begin to build this more into my walk with Christ. And I'm not up here to set down some kind of a challenge or some kind of rule. It seems to me this is a practice that we really ought to engage in freely and thoughtfully and intentionally. But I will say that if you decide that you want to Uh, begin fasting there's there's some really helpful practical resources out there and you can come talk to me and I'd be very happy to share those with you give us today the bread we need Lord let's let's let this request help us to more and more depend daily to acknowledge our needs to God to care continually bringing the needs of others to the Lord and to reset ourselves regularly, drawing near to God, fasting, and in prayer. Uh, To to close, I've got two students who are going to come up and lead us in prayer tonight. Uh, David Zamora. Uh, Where are you? Uh, David's going to come, and uh, Jackson also. David's going to give thanks for God's provision for us, and Jackson uh, is going to pray also that that we will trust and depend upon God for His provision and for others. Um, and I don't want to embarrass him, but I do know Jackson has a little bit of experience with fasting, so he'd probably be happy to talk to you about that if you feel more comfortable asking him. Than me. So, guys, come on up and lead us in prayer.